the most audible. Hold the applause. <laughs> like Welcome to Anything Is Potable, the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional Boston Celtics fan, and I'm joined, as always, by the kid, uh, the legend, El Nino himself, Jay King, Celtics beat reporter for TheAthletic.com. Jay, also a hero. A hero. A hero to some. A hero uh, mostly. Uh, these all titles have he's been given himself. Um, but we continue our interview <laughs> series today with uh, one of my favorite people on uh, Twitter because he's probably one of the most willing uh, participants in just like dunking on Jay or trying to keep Jay's <laughs> tremendous ego in check. Uh, we have Michael Pina. Uh, NBA writer, reporter from SB Nation, also the host of uh, Sports Illustrated's Open Floor podcast. Uh, he also hosts another podcast that we don't necessarily have to talk about here. But uh, <laughs> Michael Pina, thank you for joining. Anything is potable. How are you doing? How are you surviving uh, this this new hell world we live in? Guys, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, as when Jay invited me on via text this morning, it's truly an honor. It's true. I mean, I was waiting for the invitation, I got to say. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a once in a lifetime type deal for you, honestly. The, <laughs> a, a person of your stature being invited to this podcast—it doesn't happen very often. Now, I, was, <laughs> I was told that this podcast was uh, needed to be uh, created because Jay, despite there not being any basketball, you're still writing articles, and you recently wrote one uh, ranking the top ten seasons from Celtics point guards of all time. And um, I think uh, our good friend Michael took some exception to those rankings. And uh, uh, I, as soon as I heard that, I looked over and you're, you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> it just uh, was a, a nonsensical ranking of top one to ten. Uh, uh, hold so- on, hold on, hold on. First of all, ranking the top ten seasons in Celtics, t- top ten point guard seasons in Celtics history is impossible. Because Bob Cousy was out there at a different, different time. And there are a lot of really good seasons from a lot of really different players. I hated myself the entire time I wrote the article. I assumed everyone else would hate me. I did not know I was going to wake up to a fucking text from Pina (laughs) before I had even gotten my coffee. I'm like just groggy, rolling out of bed, and Pina's already hit me with the you're an idiot text. So, that, so that's Jay, how we got the invite to the podcast. Yeah, bingo. Um, I think everyone who read it hates you. I agree with that assessment. Well, let's be clear about what the, the, the biggest issue is. Coming in at number one, according to Jay King, is Bob Cousy's 1956-57 season uh, where he shot 37% from the field and was the seventh. seventh 37.8. Give him some respect. <laughs> he was basically just a ball hog. I mean, he Bill Russell uh, was hurt for a ball lot of years. Ball hog who led the NBA in assists by hundreds of assists over the next competitor. He was a ball uh, hog Jay, who Jay, won the Jay MVP his, trophy. Jay did his research. There were here. eight teams in the league then. Who else was he playing against? Bob Pettit, Dolph Shays. Like, how is this the best season of a point guard ever? He was seventh on the team in field goal percentage. He was a worse shooter. Then, Do you uh, know why everyone else had good shooting percentages? Because Bob Cousy was finding everyone you, open. You track those assist he was, numbers? He was the MVP of the league, Packard. It was and a crap league. It was nobody eight else, teams. Nobody else. They had the two Celtics. rounds of playoffs. Nobody else. No other Celtics point guard ever won MVP. Cousy did. He won a championship. He was first team All-NBA. Led the league in assists by a mile. Was eighth in points per game. How are you going to not put the MVP Jay, at number Jay. one? Jay, I have Pina. some questions. I have some questions. Okay. Um, Uh-oh. So first of all, I'm looking at the 1956-57 Celtics and on BattleReference.com, and they had the fifth best offense in the league. There Out of were, eight, there's know, eight there teams. Were, yes, there, there were eight teams. So they had a below average offense, and he was the point guard. So how did you, first of all, come to, you know, he played for many years. How did you pick this season and elevated above all the others? He was the MVP, <laughs> the literal league MVP, Kuzi. Kuzi was the very most valuable player in the entire league. It was Voted his first on by championship who? year. 
voted on by the people, by the gods. <laughs> the people, <laughs> the two beat reporters okay. who watch these games. Did, did that season happen to coincide with Bill Russell's rookie year when the Celtics suddenly vaulted into first in defensive efficiency? Yes. yes. Was Tommy Heinsohn also was rookie of the year? Was he probably not the best player on his team? Sure. He wasn't well, he was the a, best guard on his team. Bill Sharman he was has a, better scoring he was numbers. MVP Packard. I wasn't sitting there dissecting Bob Cousy film while preparing for Clearly this. Clearly you were because the man can't dribble with his left hand. So, he, so, if so you win Jay, the MVP, you are so Jay, number one on the list. So That's Jay, how it goes. Uh, yeah. So Jay, I, you know, usually when I rank things, I rank them against each other. So here you've decided to rank Bob Cousy against the other players who were around in 1956 as opposed to the other point guards who have played for the Boston Celtics. The other since... list, the other items on the list. So, <laughs> so that's where I personally see a fault in, in your logic here. Um, but can you, can you just kind of go behind the scenes and walk us through really quickly how you, uh, how you went through this? Because I, 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 the reason why I initially texted you was your Rondo selection. So we can yeah. get into that in a second, but just kind of how did you go through it and, what was the uh, what was on the cutting room floor? Just what was your thought process through this entire exercise? Um, well, first of all, obviously, I haven't, I didn't watch Bob Cousy play. Like, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't born until 1987. So you're comparing seasons that I don't have a lot of knowledge about, or at least I don't have like institutional knowledge about, and seasons that I was right there, front row, and or not front row, wherever the hell they sit us these days, but. So I went back, I researched everything. I was reading articles about these guys. It took me days to put together this list. And what's so tough about it is like everybody's so different and comparing eras is so different. Everybody's role is so different. How do you compare Isaiah Thomas when he was the offensive superstar against Dennis Johnson, who was like the fifth option on their team, but was also Mr glue and did everything right for a championship team and was a great great defender one of the best defenders of that time at the guard spot so it, it's an impossible impossible thing to do in the first place i hate my editor for <laughs> having me do it you know it was a great idea I'm, I'm kidding about that but i really was like beating myself up over the rankings i had i mean how do you how do you judge Kyrie? Because Kyrie had two incredible individual seasons. If you put his stats up against anybody except Isaiah's one year, they are sparkling. They are head and shoulders above anybody, including Kuzi, including Rondo. But he was also a divisive force in a locker room that combusted. So that was another X factor, and I didn't know how to deal with that. And then, I mean, you're looking at JoJo White. Jojo White, like, he had some great seasons. His stats were never very good. And I'm like, <laughs> how? How is this so tough to do? How is it so tough to judge these players? And so I, I was basically punching myself in the head over and over again throughout the entire process and until I came up with a list. And I changed it like 1,200 times and then finally sent it in and hated myself the entire time throughout the process. So and I then, have two, and then fucking I, peanut text would be the first thing to make me hate myself a little more. I'm sorry. Um, I have two follow up questions. I have one real main follow up question here. So, were <laughs> what what was the uh, what was the honorable mention process here? Did you do you have a, a short list of guys who you wish you could have put on? Because I think one of the fascinating players who is not on this list is is Kemba Walker, who. Was playing, yeah, I, I, disca I disqualified Kemba because they didn't finish the season. Okay, okay. Or haven't finished it yet. Maybe they so haven't the, finished it. The other player that kind of springs to mind, who I think a commenter on the bottom mentions, is is uh, Tiny Archibald, who played for the Celtics for four years or five years, I think, and made three all-star teams with the team. So uh, did yeah, he, he, he get he, consideration? He was really close. He okay. was really close, but he like he was a super duper star before he got to the Celtics. By the time he mm -hmm. got to the Celtics, he wasn't at that level still. He was obviously still very productive for them. He was close. Uh, Isaiah's other season, other All Star season, was pretty close. JoJo White had a number of seasons. JoJo White was like every season of his was exactly the same. 
he had the same stats every single year. It was ridiculous. Look at that man. He never missed a game. He was always doing the exact same thing for the exact same caliber team year after year. Like, how do you rate JoJo White and Dennis Johnson versus guys like Isaiah Thomas and Kyrie Irving who had the ball in their hands all the freaking time? I, I don't know. It it was impossible. I still hate myself. Did you did you um, come up with a rubric like a scoring system? How did you how did you weight all these things? Because clearly the 1957 MVP is a trump card. Like that took Bob Cousy above above and yeah, beyond. Yeah, if, if you're the MVP, I, I can't not put you number one. I can't. I can't. It was a different time. It was a different era. But to me, like if people vote you MVP, I gotta give it to you. And, and there wasn't anyone else to to dethrone him. Like. Nobody else was quite at that level to dethrone the MVP. Um, there was my, I first started out by looking at win shares, which is obviously an imperfect stat, but it's like the only thing that kind of goes through different eras, or at least there's an essence of it for the early days too. So I, I looked at my guys so bad, and then I just kind of morphed into my own rankings and was reading way too much nonsense and I don't know. Yeah, and I, I just honestly, I, I despised myself and everyone I left. <laughs> I'm glad we brought you great shame um, for this whole process. It sounds like you've really enjoyed okay, it. Okay, but, but yeah, but okay, Pino, what were your biggest qualms? Okay, no, I mean, you know, I give you a hard time just when I wake up in the morning, I think about what I can tweet at you to make you feel worse about yourself. So this was a great <laughs> opportunity for me. But no, you, it was it's a good list all in all. I appreciated it. Ooh, I honestly... Ooh, Peter, Peter with the, the praise here? Oh, come on, no, Pina, don't do for, this. No. <laughs> but, you know, you have Rondo I, I here. Woke up, I woke up to a text from Pina that said, pass whatever you're smoking this way. <laughs> so he, he was clearly not very for my list when he woke up this morning. Okay, so you have Rondo on here twice, correct? Yes. Yeah, two, two was my match. I, I did guys have two seasons on the list. Because okay. I would have been like, Kuzi, yeah, Rondo, no. all over this. For sure, I understand that. Um, My problem is you have Rondo in 2009 as your number five season. And what were you thinking there? Because he was better later on in his career. So I'm looking at other seasons like 2012, 2013, when he was really an all-star, as opposed to 2009, points and eight assists. And other members of the big three had a higher role in the pecking order than he did. So what, what was going through your mind when you decided to do that? Was he better later on, or did he just have different opportunities? You're, are you trying to argue that Rondo was better when he was 22 than when he was 25? My, so... <laughs> my thought process with Rondo. So his number one season I had was 2009-2010. Okay. Debatable. He averaged Debatable. We'll let points. it stand. Yes. He averaged a career high in points that year, led the league in steals per game. That was one of his best defensive seasons, if not his best defensive season. And to me, what what really stood out, and you said 11-12 season, that's, that's your top Rondo season, right? I think so. I think that's when he reached his peak as a player. Okay. Well, his true shooting percentage that year was 48.3. We're not, which yeah, is you can't horrific judge. I, and I abominable understand. and yes. miserable. Yes, but as anyone who watched Rondo play basketball knows, you cannot judge Rajon Rondo by his true shooting percentage. Okay. Well, you were the one talking about how, how your boy Bob Cousy was guided a fifth placed offense and you're giving him crap for that rondo got it a 27th ranked offense hell yeah go rondo <laughs> 20 27 and they had paul pierce and kevin garnett and ray allen so rondo's shooting was pretty destructive i would i would argue and i know those other guys weren't at their primes at that point and rondo was really good in some ways but to me like the the more of a role he had to take in the offense the more destructive it became to that offense and like when he was at his best to me was when he was playing off those guys and doing less but doing it more efficiently no i mean that's fair i think the 2011-12 season is tough because it was lockout shortened and that team was really old and and all that. And I think in 2010, as you said, 
his performance in the playoffs against the Cleveland Cavaliers, particularly game four, where I think everyone in the world wrote off the Celtics and did not think that they were going to come back and beat LeBron's Cavs. And he has just this like monster triple double. Uh, I'm trying to look it up right now as we're doing what was it, 29, 18 and 13, right? 29, 18, and 13. Good memory, Jay. And yeah, it's just I, like... I, I had to research way too much. <laughs> he went uh, 11 for 16 from the free throw line in that game. Just uh, a total force. And then the reason why I like 2012 is because it's the year where uh, in the playoffs, I think he's in this series against the Heat and... Like I think you could make an argument that he was the best player for lengthy stretches of that series, and that series obviously had LeBron and it had Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and all those guys. So, um, uh, or maybe Chris Bosh was hurt for that, so that stretch. I'm not really yeah. And that that, that playoffs he averaged 17, 12, and seven. Yeah, he was an absolute beast. Uh, he had I think the best game of his career, the forty four point game, game two. Plays 53 minutes. They lose, I believe, in overtime and should have won that game. And I still, as I texted you this morning, I was in a, a comatose state for like two weeks after that one. It was brutal. <laughs> um, but no, all in all, Jay, I think you did a good job on this list. Uh, I give you a hard time, but you, you clearly put the research in. And uh, congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. I, I, I appreciate that. And, and I'm glad that I had the Rondo guided the 27th. Ranked offense. Yeah, you had that already. in my that was in, in my clip. bag. Yeah, that was. That <laughs> I was, was not expecting that, was, that. That was my trump card. I I came at your neck, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is Uh-oh. this is enough of of Jay praise. I think we have to get uh, transition on to. The, I think the only news topic as uh, we're recording right no, now. No, let's let's talk about the rest of the list. Where where would you guys put? <laughs> No, no, no. Like, was Isaiah properly ranked at two? Because that was one I had a problem with. Do you think that's too high or too low? Both. I I think all the seasons are too high and too low. I just hate myself. The more I got into the story, I I just couldn't tell anything from anything. Um, It was easily the best offensive season a Celtics point guard has ever had. It's, I mean, it's one of like the, what, 15 best offensive seasons, individual offensive seasons, I think any player has ever had in the history of basketball. So he finishes, I think, fifth for MVP that year. Uh, I was covering the team then. I saw you at the the Garden. You look like trash every night. That's what I remember. <laughs> but, um, no, he at was great that hair. year. <laughs> he was great that year. And uh, it's just like you, you take, as I said, I was saying to, to Jam before you came on, the call here, uh, Jay, um, like comparing Bob Cousy and just watching that film. And I know it's a different era and I know how difficult it is, but like 1957 Bob Cousy versus watching Kyrie Irving, just like manipulate the basketball and do magic tricks and hit ridiculous shots. Like, it's just like, it's a different world. Like Bob Cousy's looking at the ball when he's dribbling it. And Kyrie Irving is, I, I can't, like he has it on a yo-yo string. So like having him at eighth and then 10th on your list, it's just kind of tricky to, 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 to rectify that. It It's impossible, man. And then how, like, how do you compare Isaiah's season when he was the obvious guy? And like Al Horford was their second best player. And he, he was like Al Horford, who doesn't really want the ball, need the ball very much. Isaiah, everything mm-hmm. was built around Isaiah. And it was like Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder around him. And they still had a seventh best offense, I think, in the league. Um, that season was just ridiculous. But then Kyrie, like, he had dudes. And he was in a different role. Then it's like Dennis Johnson was just there to play defense and run the offense and make clutch plays. It's like... It, Actually gauging, and I think that's what makes basketball fun, right, is that you can get so many different types of players that play so many different roles, and they'd all be different in different situations. Like, I don't think Isaiah Thomas would have been a better fit for the 80s Celtics than Dennis Johnson. No chance. Like, that team is worse with Isaiah Thomas than Dennis Johnson, but the 
Celtics in 2016-17 would have been way worse with Dennis Johnson, I think, because they needed Isaiah to do everything, and he did. And he did it night after night. So it, I, I, I'm just pained after, after this whole, whole exercise. <laughs> just pained. Aren't and you? JoJo White was tough, too. Jo- I feel like JoJo White kind of had, like, Tony Parker numbers. Like, he had, like, he averaged his, like, 18 and 6, and then he was on second team All-NBA. And it's like, they're, they're giving him that Tony Parker, like, part of a great team, great great part of a great team respect. And so jo- JoJo was another one I, I didn't know what the hell to do with. I I wanted to just cry during during this whole process. Now we got Pina on the on the <laughs> podcast, though, and and let's let's move on. I was let's expecting you to basically like come on here and like defend your your process, your choices, and be like, "There's so many different factors that you have to evaluate." But here's why I valued this over that. Like, I uh, numbers were one thing, and clearly MVP. But you just basically just come out and go, "I don't, I don't know, man. It's it's tough. I'm I'm destroyed." You're not really instilling <laughs> confidence in the uh, in the listeners out there. That well, you... I put in all the work, and I did have factors like I told you my Rondo analysis, the Kyrie thing. Like Kyrie had special, special individual years. Now, was his locker room fit right in the second season? Absolutely not. Did he handle anything correctly? No, hell no. But but he was special and. He was special on what, looking back on it, was a weird team with Gordon Hayward injured and a lot of dudes thinking they deserve more touches. And, and he he was really special individually. So it, it's just it's it's a tough, 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 tough thing to do. And I, I do hate myself. <laughs> when Jay, when you do the inevitable best 10 Celtics seasons or uh, center seasons at the Celtics and Celtics history um, is Kendrick Perkins over Bill Russell under Bill Russell. What is going on there? Where is Daniel? You know Tice? I is, think is he to- better Tony, than Dave Cowens? How does it, how does it shake up for you? Tony Aaron Batine, Baines fit in there. <laughs> Tony Batiste, number one. Uh, <laughs> of course, of course. Vitaly Potapenko, number two. Mark Blount, way up there, way up there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Travis Knight, holy hell, that man was down. What about Rafe LaFrance? Or oh, center a ahead of his time. Uh, Rafe La- Jake Foskell, did he play for the Celtics? I don't think so. I don't even recognize Steamsma. that Steemsma. He's the closest to Steemsma's Bill Russell. has got to be way up there. Yeah, I mean, if you put Bill Russell at number one, why isn't Steemsma up there? <laughs> it, yeah. it's, it's a valid question, especially you know when you compare eras. What would Steamsma have done in Russell's day? <laughs> if you're consulting Tommy Heinsohn for your list, I mean, what Steemsma... would Ryan Hollins have done in <laughs> Russell's day? <laughs> How about Mikey Moore? These are these are valid questions. I can't wait for that list. I just gave you a great idea. Yeah, I'm so glad we get to hear the prep process for the next article. Expect to see that on The Athletic. If you want 40% off a subscription, or no, the first free 90 days, go to theathletic.com slash anything is potable. Now, uh, the only other topic that I think we can talk about before getting to the very uh, fat life of Michael Pina here is Jason Tatum appeared on the jump and said that he has not touched a basketball since the final game of the season, which is absolutely insane to me. Um, it feels like no one really knows when basketball is going to come back. And hypothetically, you would think players uh, could be still staying in shape. Uh, and no one's saying that uh, Jason Tatum has not been staying in shape, but he did he doesn't he's have a basketball hoop at his house. And so that like he's clearly not getting shots up, but to not touch a basketball, like not dribble at all, that just seems bizarre. That's his entire profession. So my first reaction to hearing this, I did not see it on the jump, um, is that I guess that means that Paul Pierce has touched a basketball more times than Jason Tatum because Paul Pierce was decimated on horse last night against Did Zach you guys Levine. watch the horse? Not at all. Literally, uh, Pierce versus Levine is the only thing I saw. And I was like, this is one of the most wretched uh, events ever televised. The quality was terrible. I knew heading in that I would not be attracted to it because horse is not something that you should watch on television. And it really lived up to my low expectations. I, I am starved for basketball. I every night 
I miss basketball every morning. I wake up and I'm just sad there will be no basketball in my day. I am just devastated by the loss of the NBA. And I was not even going to go close <laughs> to that horse game. I, I was not even, I didn't even think about turning on the channel. And then I started seeing the tweets and it was just brilliant. All the tweets bashing ESPN and saying horse was the worst thing to watch and saying that watching me puke in a bucket was better. Shout out to Tom <laughs> Westerholm. Uh, it, it just, it, it made my day. It gave me joy. So ho horse was good for something. I skipped it and felt better about myself. Okay. But talk about Jason Tatum, you know, the topic I brought up. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I told you you're getting good as a host, man. Yeah, man. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, okay, at first thought, is it weird that Tatum hasn't picked up a basketball in a month? But yeah, sure. Is he in a place where he has an obvious way to do basketball workouts? Absolutely not. If he had a basketball hoop, it would probably be in his driveway, which is probably at least a little bit crooked. And it's been raining basically every single day here in Boston. And it's been pretty chilly and it's been windy. And even if he was out doing drills, it is not conducive to actually help him improve at basketball. It may even make him worse at basketball if he's trying to shoot through the wind and shit like that. So Typical lame stream Celtics beat cover like reporters just uh, sucking up to the team. You know, it's just <laughs> I thought he could be objective, Jay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> have you guys seen... Dion Waiters doing like a rollerblade derby in his house. Yeah, it's been uh, entertaining as hell, and I'm sure he's more ready to play basketball because he's active than Jason Tatum, who hasn't even touched a basketball. I just think it's weird that he doesn't have a basketball in his house and like hasn't dribbled. Well, uh, he he might have just been saying he hasn't touched a basketball because he hasn't touched a basketball like he normally touches a basketball. Like, like I haven't actually played basketball, um, but I I have touched I have touched a ball. Um, shout to me. <laughs> One uh, of the sadder days be, is, was when I'll I went to the park. I'll be in great game shape by the time the league comes back. I tried to go to the park, but they put a, a little wooden board over the over the rim, so I couldn't even Packard, get buckets. social distance for fuck's sake. Bro, I'm not out there playing five on five. If it's just me shooting, I think that's okay. I'm no scientist, but... Would you please social distance? You're gonna be the You're going to be the death of us, honestly. I mean, I, I think you make me sick. People would welcome that. I don't even know what that means. I, I just kind of said it. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um. <laughs> Peter, welcome to <laughs> anyway. the, the off season. Anything is potable. This is the kind of uh, normal nonsense that you get uh, episode for episode. No, this is great. I'm I'm just loving the banter between you two right now. I'm, uh, <laughs> this is terrific, terrifically entertaining on this otherwise boring and gloomy day. Well, Let's get to Pina's career. Ooh, now so let's talk about penis career. I've, I've run out of things to say about <laughs> Jason Tatum touching or not touching a basketball. That's fair. I mean, there's only so much you can say about that. Then why did you insist it was a topic on the podcast? <laughs> That's a very good question. <laughs> because there is nothing. There is just nothing to actually. There is no news to discuss. No news to discuss. That Vincent Poirier wrote an emotional tweet, very emotional tweet about his, his mother and father, which had me sad, and it was powerful. So shout out to Vinny P. But, yeah, there's there's no news to discuss. All right, so in, in lieu of news, we'll <laughs> we talk to good friend Michael Pina about his, <laughs> his road from wherever the hell he started to now becoming writer, reporter for SB Nation. You mentioned that you were devastated by the loss uh, in 2012 by the Celtics. I imagine that you're coming from a similar background as me, is starting out as a kind of Celtics fan. So I'm curious, Michael, how you transitioned from Celtics fan to professional journalist. Right. So it's kind of a long story. So I'm just going to keep it as, as, as brief as possible and concise as possible. But I did grow up in Boston right around outside, just outside Boston. Grew up a Celtics fan. Uh, Where just outside Boston. It's important for the people. I'm from grew, Watertown, so I'm going to judge you. I grew up in neighboring Newton, Massachusetts. Oh. So right, right next door. 
Uh, shout out to Watertown, man. I did not know that. That's very cool. Um, so I grew up a Celtics fan. Knew that I was of no use in society doing anything except writing and hopefully writing about professional basketball because I loved it so much growing up. So went to college, studied journalism, et cetera, graduated into a financial uh, apocalypse in 2009. There were not a lot of jobs, obviously, as you guys know, and just kind of started my own blog called Shaky Ankles. I don't even know if Jay knows this. and I don't know how much Jay knows about me, to be honest. I, uh, I've never read Shaky Ankles. I know. I'm, I bet you have like a notepad out right now. So you're just scribbling ammo to tweet at me later. But started <laughs> started Shaky Ankles, which is basically an opportunity for me to throw clips of crossover dribbles from YouTube on a blog and then just write about whatever I wanted. And from there, I took those articles and would email the ones I was most proud of to the relevant team blogs. So like ESPN True Hoop had a bunch of, had a blog for every team in the NBA. SB Nation, the company I write for right now, had a blog for every team. So I would try to get my stuff to those editors and so that they could link to them and get me as much exposure as possible. And an editor for Houston, the Houston Rockets blog, Red94, uh, with ESPN, uh, liked one of my articles and asked me if I wanted to contribute over there. So I started there. That gave me a little bit more exposure. And uh, then I met Brian Robb, who is my podcast partner, the Winning Plays podcast, who covers uh, the we'll, NBA. We'll cut and the that Celtics. part out. <laughs> I bet you will. <laughs> no mention um, of Rob ever left. <laughs> Although he was a previous guest him. on this interview series. Yes, huge legend. Shout out to B-Rob. Uh, so he gave me an opportunity to write for Celtics uh, way back in the day. And yeah, I just blogged from there. Um, I worked a ton of really stupid, odd jobs that were... Uh, stupid's probably not a, the right word. They were enjoyable, but very random. I used to uh, walk dogs for a living for a while, which was a great job. A uh, bunch of weird things. And uh, eventually uh, I got a job blogging for Fox Sports uh, after I moved out to Los Angeles for a little while. And that was the first job I had where I was able not to, I did not have to do things that had nothing to do with the NBA and writing. I could actually write about the league and support myself full time. So did that. Uh, and then from there, I've just written for so many different places. Uh, I covered the Los Angeles Lakers for Bleacher Report uh for kobe's last season uh then i moved to boston and covered the celtics for bleacher report for isaiah thomas's uh magical 2016-17 season uh and when did you first get a credential and get to meet uh the one and only jay king i mean it sounds like you probably got one for the the lakers uh beat but and then he moved back to boston and 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 then you got the honor of meeting fast me. of friends i don't even remember the first time we met jay do you I have no clue. I remember the only time we've ever played basketball. Ooh. When I blocked your shot? Uh, when I whipped your ass at Northeastern. But did I block your shot? elaboration of what, what one, Jay, one Jay, Jay, did I block your shot? I don't remember. I, I that cannot. Is su- you, you are, that's such trash. You, <laughs> it, it, it was, it was a shame. It, it was a shameful moment. Every place in your mind before you go to bed every single night, admit it. Stop. It was a shameful moment. Pina. <laughs> Pina did block my shot. It was in the left corner, and uh, I'll never forget the shame of that moment. But I still whooped your ass. We were waiting. We were waiting for like two hours for Doc Rivers and the Los Angeles Clippers and Paul Pierce to to yeah. arrive at the court, and we just played twenty one. And by the time they arrived, we were just like sweaty, sweaty, <laughs> and totally exhausted. And and I was emotionally beaten. After getting blocked by a balding middle-aged man <laughs> called Michael Pena. Thank you. Thank you, Jake. Um, so from there, I, I was hired by... <laughs> let me go back to my story. Uh, after I blocked Jay, which was the peak of my life, I was hired by Vice Sports. They heard about the block. They wanted to know more. <laughs> um, and so they hired me to cover the NBA for them. I moved to New York, where I, I live currently in Brooklyn. And uh, worked for there for a couple of years, was laid off, 
a little over a year ago, started writing for SB Nation, where I've been ever since. There's a whole bunch of stuff in between, um, but I honestly don't even remember it off the top of my head. Weird, wild ride, uh, and I hope that answered your question. It it did, and I'm curious. Uh, kind of, we've been asking all the people this about like what you prefer. Clearly, you had like two seasons where you were on um, covering the beat and being like a beat reporter. Now in New York, it seems like you do more kind of general NBA reporting, and you have access to both uh, teams coming into Knicks games and um, Nets games. Is like, do you have a preference, or did you like enjoy being a beat reporter more? Or do you like the kind of general work you can do now? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I definitely am someone who prefers covering the entire league. I just think there's so many, well, there's obviously a, a wider pool of stories to tell and uh, more players to to cover. And, and I think what I really like doing is trying to find interesting trends that are taking place throughout the league, either aesthetically or stylistically or analytically or whatever, and then report that out. Um, so that's tougher to do when you're just covering one team. And as Jay knows, there are so many people on the same beat and it's really competitive. And I, I'm, you know, I'm sure there are, are times where you're struggling to come up with an idea and you end up writing a, a an article that ranks the top 10 point guard seasons in <laughs> Celtics history. Um, so it's uh, for me. It's it's definitely general NBA, and that's that's what I I prefer to do. How do you come? What's up with your a, favorite a... story of all time? <laughs> Jesus, we're both so Jay, eager to learn. Jay off the top rope. Uh, what's my favorite story that I've the, written? The one that you enjoyed like digging into the most. I'd say the one that I reference the most and get asked about the most is. Uh, I was flown to Malibu. The, one of the first stories I did for Vice. Uh, I was hoping you'd say this one because I, I was going to ask about it anyway. <laughs> and I was able to profile Jimmy Butler out there and spend a couple days with him at his mansion in Calabasas. And um, yeah, it was just like, it, it was incredible. Um Unfortunately, not unfortunately, but like a few weeks after my story came out, which I was very proud of and am proud of to this day, uh, Lee Jenkins spent time with Jimmy Butler in Malibu in the same environment and wrote a piece for Sports Illustrated. So like Lee Jenkins just like blew mine out of the water, of course. But (laughs) I do I have a lot of fond memories of that reporting experience. And I. I remember, you know, talking to, I just knew I was going to get a lot of time with him, which is very, very rare um, uh, in covering the league today. You know, players, it's so difficult to set something up with someone going through an agent. Uh, You basically can't go through a team anymore uh, to do a story like that. And the player just has so much leverage uh, given where we are in media. And so that was a really rare opportunity. Um, and he was great. And I remember coming to him with a bunch of questions after, you know, I interviewed his college roommate. I interviewed like, the people who knew him when he was just a kid. I interviewed um, the junior college head coach and junior college teammates that he had. Uh, so um, he was like impressed by my questions, which was really cool. And I think helped uh, make our relationship a little bit better in the brief time that we had. Yeah, I was curious uh, but, how long you spent like in Malibu with him. So it was, I was out there for like three days. I probably spent one full day at his house. And then, so Vice, Vice basically shipped me and a camera crew out there because there was a video that we also did. And he was just like loving <laughs> everything about the the camera crew. And so it was getting (laughs) to the point where I was nervous that I was just only going to get, you know, me observing him and his behavior and all that. And he's, he's just a riot and would do, he did a ton of funny things. So I had enough material, but you know, I went up to him after he was playing dominoes with his buddies 
And I was like, hey, man, like, you know, coming out here, I was expecting, uh, you know, a, a, an hour, maybe two with you to just sit down and talk. And I have all these questions and blah, blah, blah. And he couldn't have been a nicer dude. This was the summer uh, before his first year in Minnesota. So I think he, you know, this was before he had this really contentious relationship or not relationship, uh, reputation with the media and with a lot of fans um, with how that fell out and then how it fell out with uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. So I went up to him and I asked him and he's like, Oh yeah, no worries. Like, let me just finish this game and I got you. And I was like, okay. And I kind of shrugged it off thinking that I was not going to get him at all. And uh, the game ends and he like points his finger at me and he's like, follow me. And so me and him, walk to this is like a giant house ridiculous house one of the nicest houses i've ever been in and he takes me to the private theater and <laughs> we walk we walk into this it's like a literal theater and he's like see he grabs a blanket off the wall because it's super air conditioned and he shuts the door his his uh publicist is like following us and she tries to walk in the room and he literally shuts the door on her face <laughs> And he's like, give me a little, give me a little while. I need some time. I, I promised him I'd spend some time with him. I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. So we <laughs> sat down and like chopped it up for about an hour and a half, I would say. And mid interview, he gets a phone call and it's Tom Thibodeau. And he's like making faces to me, like rolling his eyes and stuff. And it was like one of the just all just time. Hear ice, ice, ice. <laughs> I could hear Tibbs through the through the phone. He did not even have it on speaker, and I knew from the jump that it was Tibbs. And he tells me after I put the anecdote in the story, but he tells me after it was Tibbs, and he he's you know saying all these wonderful things about him and everything, and. Um, so that's like the most memorable just reporting experience I ever had. And uh, I have loved Jimmy Butler ever since. I actually think Jay and I have had an argument, a text argument about Jimmy, because I think you said that he was not a top 15 player earlier this year. And we had a lot of beef about that. So we did have some beef about that. I, I yeah. barely remember that. We've had a lot of text message battles over the years. What was <laughs> what was the coolest part about Jimmy Butler's mansion? So there was a pool, obviously, yeah. and to walk up to get to the pool, it was probably like, no joke, a, it was like a th three to five minute walk up the side of the house along a stream that was going downhill. <laughs> three to five minute walk? Yeah. How, much, how big was this property? It was humongous. So you like you start in the there's like a guest house that was bigger than the house I grew up in as a child, and then you see the real house. It's just like up on this like hillish thing, and then you so to get to the pool, which is in the back of the house, you had to go up the side, and you're going through this like windy uh, like rock steps ab above uh, that are to the side of the stream, and so one of the funniest things when we were there was uh jimmy's jimmy has like a really tight circle and so he had his trainer he had a personal photographer he had uh and a couple of buddies and one of the buddies was just this kid who was playing basketball for columbia. i think he was like heading into his his freshman season playing basketball in columbia he's from chicago met jimmy when jimmy was on the bulls and this kid, I can't remember his name, is Mike something. He just transferred to the University of Michigan like a couple of days ago. But anyway, so Mike's there and uh, we, we arrive and it's basically them blasting music, having a fashion show and just chugging beers. And so we get up there, we're next to the pool <laughs> and uh, Jimmy has a football in his hands and he tells mike he's like hey like if you uh if i throw this football into the stream where there are supposedly snapping turtles uh and you get <laughs> the football i will give you 250 dollars." so mike he throws the football into the street he takes 250 dollars out of his wallet or whatever was laying on the table and he's just waving it around in the air 
and uh, it throws the football in the stream. Mike goes get the football, comes back, and Jimmy does not give him the money. And it was like one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen. That's a it was like, bit. yeah, yeah. So um, there was just Stop. a lot of stuff like that. He was great. That that's that's fight worthy. Like you you could fight over that. $250, you, you got to risk your life against snapping turtles? Let me, let, let me, let me tell you something. Uh, when you are living your summer in this Malibu mansion for free, <laughs> no. you can, <laughs> there's no fighting going on. See, on your see that, if someone promises you $250 to swim through snapping turtles and, and retrieve a football, you, you earn those $250. I, I, I I think I think no matter how much smaller he was than Jimmy Butler, no matter how destined he was to get demolished in that fight, <laughs> I think you have to be a man of principle at that point and and take take a swing. That would have Ruin been a your big career? mistake. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a huge mistake. I think you're overestimating how dangerous snapping turtles are. I, I would have loved to see the Michael Pena story about Jimmy Butler getting in a brawl <laughs> with a, a teenager, or a youngish kid over $250 in a snapping turtle and a football. That'd be, that would have been a fantastic tip. Uh, the Not other that your story thing, wasn't good anyway, but no, that no, would have been slightly better. I, I have another small little anecdote from my yes. time. So we get there, we're at the pool see him first of all it takes like i want to say 20 minutes for him to acknowledge that there are strangers on the grounds which i thought was hilarious um and get there and finally like i go over what there do you mean by like acknowledge that strangers are on the ground like, like he's, you guys are just walking around and he doesn't we yeah we walk up the publicist takes us up and she's like here's jimmy um see you guys <laughs> like okay <laughs> So, it, so Jimmy's literally having a fashion show. He's trying on all these clothes, and um, he actually uh, he sees me. He's like sitting in the corner with my notebook out, writing down and staring at him. And he sees me, and he's like, "Hey, man! Like, are, are, do you like the NFL?" And I was like, "I, I guess so. Yeah, sure." And he's like, "Who's your favorite team?" And I was like, "The New England Patriots." And he's like, "That's also Mark Wahlberg's favorite team. So me and you are gonna have a good time." <laughs> <laughs> You judge your friends entirely based on their favorite football team, and if your current friends also have the same football team, that's a wild way to live life. Yeah, so I thought that was great, and he was the best, uh, just the greatest. And he also said a lot of stuff off the record about it was the day after. I'm not gonna say. I'm sorry. I'll tell you guys after the the pod. I'm sorry, but the it was the day after the Kyrie Isaiah Thomas trade that I arrived in Malibu. Ooh. Ooh. And so he he had some takes on that trade that are just next level. I was really enjoying that, and he told me I couldn't write anything or tell anybody. So I'll tell you guys after the pod if you're interested. Oh no, just tell him now. We'll, we'll have Mike uh, edit <laughs> yeah. them out. Fans always love to have the, just like the sound go off, and then they, they can't hear the juicy stories. So I'd love yeah. to hear them now. Okay, yeah, I'll save them for later. But it's uh, <laughs> a good time. Rejected. I had to shoot shot. <laughs> That's incredible. That that really is. Jimmy lives quite a life, it sounds like, out on his stream with all his visitors and his movie theater. That is like, I feel like that's a perfect Jimmy Butler story. He used to call me Marky Mark after Mark Wahlberg because he thought I looked like Wahlberg. But he then, thought you looked like Wahlberg? It was when I had crazy hair. Like it was he concussed? Hair. Was this after a game where he fell on his head? What happened there? No, this was, it was when... Uh, Crowder was still with the Celtics. I was writing a, a story on Crowder, and I wanted to talk to Jimmy. And he brought out, like, the photo of Marky Mark. It, it was some movie where Marky Mark had some weird hair, and I had some weird hair going at that time. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it was just the hair. But he called over uh, Jim Boylan, who was an assistant coach at the time. Mm -hmm. and Is this your first Boylan over, interaction? Yes, and called over Jim Boylan, and he showed him the picture. He's like, he looks just like Marky Mark, right? And I was like, uh... I've never heard that one before, but he called me Marky Mark for a little while, and then he totally forgot who I was after that. He really, really, really loves Mark Wahlberg. We spent about 20 minutes debating the top five Mark Wahlberg movies, and he was getting very upset because I laughed at his number one. The Shooter. Um, shooter, yeah, Shooter, which <laughs> I was like... I was like, wait, did you know That's that? That's a legendary or? flick. I did not know that, but I knew that you laughed at it, and it was his number one. I just figured it had to be Shooter. 
Yeah, I love Shooter. It's it's like unintentional greatness, but he was earnest in its in its ability to entertain. So um, that was very fun. I brought up Boogie Nights. I was like, Boogie Nights, that's like one of his greatest performances. He was not having Boogie Nights. Four brothers it. might be my favorite. It's clearly the Four? other guys. I watched the other guys last week. I, 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 it's okay. It's it's not bad. It's not a bad movie. Yeah, I'm saying moment. that's exactly why I rank it there for best Mark Wahlberg movie. <laughs> Damn shot. <there. laughs> I have historical beef with the entire Wahlberg family, um, so I just can't. I, I don't agree with Jimmy on this one. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, that, bringing up the Bulls reminds me, and I think we can close on this with one. Uh, there is an actual NBA news. The Bulls got a new GM. Garpax has been dismantled. Uh I don't know the name of the guy who replaced him because um not that smart, but it's uh you guys should know. You guys are both professionals. Who's the Bulls' new GM? Ar- Arturus. My man Arturus. Oh, he's not last the GM name. though. He's K- K- Casanova. <laughs> Arturus Casanova is a badass name. He's not the GM. Then what Something is like that. Karnasovas. Like I, 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 it's it's tough to, to to butcher someone's name, so I'm not even going to try. Does this change anything yeah, see, for the Bulls? I, I, mean, I was I was a braver one than Pina, as mm. as should have been expected. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Garpax has been historically uh, awful, uh, and that doesn't yes, change anything for the Bulls. Probably. Yeah. Um, they haven't had good teams in a long time. Good so point. a fair point, Jay. We'll see. It was probably probably overdue for a little shakeup, but we'll see. Well, let, can uh, I ask you? Can I ask you? A, can I tie this to Celtics really quickly? Oh, sure. Because yeah. I'm sure that's what the audience wants. Uh, if you are Danny Ainge at the Celtics office, uh, typically when you know a new GM or a new executive vice president of basketball operations takes over, you know they are going to assess the personnel that they have and then see what they like and see what they don't like. And so if you are Danny Ainge, and you call Arturis, are there any players uh, on that team that you think are worth trying to play Chicago right now? Wendell Carter, for sure. I think he's a stud, but mm-hmm. I also think he's probably like there. He's got to be untouchable. If, if anyone's untouchable on their roster, and nobody should be untouchable on their roster, Wendell Carter's the number one, right? I, I, or, I or love, you put Levine way up there. I do not have Levine as untouchable. No, uh, I think that I think if I were running the <laughs> team that Wendell Carter would be, you know, I'm not really trying to move him. He's kind of like he's been hurt a little bit throughout his career, his, his young career. Um, but I, I'm impressed with him defensively. I think he's really good on the glass. He's big. He sets screens. Uh, he's like a, a skilled big like maybe someday being like Al Horford would be nice and wonderful. I don't know if he'll ever get there offensively, but uh, that's the guy who I, I had on my, in my mind too, uh, as someone who I would try to try to, to take away. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, there's really not a lot of talent on that team. Obviously. I kind of like marketing too. And there's been I some think- scuttlebutt about marketing, not liking the situation just because there's, they haven't won and the teams have been good. And so I think in terms of like someone who seems more realistic to maybe get traded, it's marketing. Then mm-hmm. it's just a question of is like, is marketing, what do you have to give you up have to, to pay him? him? And then you have to pay him. And then can you pay him Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and presumably Kemba Walker for it? Just, it gets kind of uh salary gets absurd almost immediately. Yeah. Marketing is a weird one. Cause like he can definitely shoot the hell out of it, and he's seven feet tall. But yeah, j- just one more year left on his rookie deal. I I don't know. I, I, he's interesting to me. Levine can score. I certainly wouldn't want him to play defense for me, or I would want him to play defense for me. He wouldn't want to play defense <laughs> for me. Uh, who? <laughs> Kobe White. What about Kobe White? He he put on a scoring display at the end of the season. But it, it no might have been just trying. Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's the thing when you when you look at bad teams that are always playing in bad games, like you ha- almost have to judge the stats differently because the other team is never playing a hundred percent. Like 
like Zach Levine puts up huge numbers and like his team is getting waxed every night or the walking every night. And I, I, I kind of think Zach Levine can be useful, but I'm also very skeptical of him as a player because he's not a very good playmaker. And even though he scores super efficiently for how much volume he has, I, I'm skeptical. I'm as skeptical as I can be given his numbers, if that makes sense. He did shut out Paul Pierce in horse, <laughs> though. So, yeah. so. It, that is true. In the worst, the worst televised thing of all time, of all fucking time, <laughs> Peter. Before before we go, we got to talk about our beef a little bit. Okay. Um. <laughs> how how uh how much do you think you've gotten owned by me over the years? And uh, how sh- how shameful do you feel every time I just destroy you and your life in a tweet? Almost every time you tweet something, I want to respond, I am embarrassed for you and your family. <laughs> but I don't because I take the high road. You know, that's just kind of how I am. But I guess now that I'm a guest podcast, that's what I'm going to say. I am embarrassed for you every moment of every day. <laughs> if I looked like you, I don't know how I would go on. But you do. And uh, shout out to you forever, Jay. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> I, I think we might have to clarify the beef right now. We might have to tell the truth about the beef. What's the truth? Which is that I, I really like Peanut. <laughs> and I really like most of the people that I attack on Twitter. And uh, my my shots about Pina not being able to grow hair, and Pina claiming that what's his face I can't even remember De- Dennis Smith Jr. is going to be the greatest point guard in NBA history, and Pina's proclaiming Nikola Vucevic is the MVP of the hipsters or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> see, this is the I, thing. Though. Like, see, this is the thing. No, I like to go Jay, back to those takes. No, exactly. You have a well, you have a Google Doc that's titled just like <laughs> Mike Pina shit list. And it's like my PJ Tucker is the key yep. to the 2018 Rockets winning the title, which, by the way, almost came true. It was like uh, a, a couple missed threes in that article looks genius. Uh, uh, I would say James Harden would have been the key. Incorrect, my guy. Incorrect. Incorrect as usual. But um, no, uh, yeah, Jay, you're you're great. Um, (laughs) I enjoy sparring with you. You're you're very funny. I I very funny. I wouldn't go that far. Jay, sometimes he's the shooter. Shouts to the kid. Funny if that makes any sense. Um, Shouts to the kid. Yes, exactly. Uh, I do enjoy reading your work. I learn a lot. You're really good at what you do. And um, this isn't why we brought you on. Um, I know. I know. I'm it, sorry. It's quite all right. Keep going. Keep going. No, <laughs> no. I'm going to, as the no. host, I'm going to have to cut you off there and say uh, I appreciate uh, all you do to kind of keep Jay's ego in check on Twitter. Uh, it's a necessary part and you play your role well. And so Michael Pina. From hold on. Hold on. I got I to gotta ask. I got to ask another question. Will we ever see the outlet pass again? Because to me, and I know it must have taken fucking forever to do every week, but to me, the outlet pass is like one of the very best things in NBA writing. And you put an incredible amount of time, energy, and brain power into that thing. And I loved reading it every week when you were at Vice. Will we ever see the outlet pass again? Uh, well, first of all, thank you. That was very nice. Um Probably not because nobody read it. So really, I don't know. I don't know if that is a uh, that that's a bad on society. Of, I th- I think it is a combination of things. Potentially, uh, I think the fact that I was writing for a company that is not affiliated with sports or the NBA at all was kind of a bummer. So um, it was tough to get traffic in general there. But uh, we did not really find a much of an audience for the outlet pass, which was unfortunate. And, and as you said, it did take up a good chunk of my week every week. 99% very, of your life. Very unhealthy. And I don't really miss doing it <laughs> at all. So probably not is the short answer to your question. Uh, that's, that's a shame, but I understand it. 
I understand it. And no, honestly, thank you for coming on, man. You're one of my favorite NBA writers in the world. And I, I love read. I'll read you no matter what you write about, which is rare. Uh, a lot of other guys, I'll only read certain topics that I care about. With you, I'll, I'll read anything, even when you stand for Dennis Smith Jr., which was very regretful. No, I, I get I, I get the text message uh, r- responses to literally <laughs> everything that I tweet. Within 10 seconds, Jay is texting me, you are trash, just about <laughs> every day. So I know you're reading it. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate you. You're the best. Bless I'm your so soul. glad we could come to this kind of kumbaya moment to clean things up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I bet you didn't. I bet you didn't expect that one Packard no because you've kind of just uh we've done this whole interview series and you just end every interview by just like heaping compliments on our guests and it's just it's frankly been uncomfortable because that's just not the Jay King (laughs) I know and I've decided to podcast with but you know what it's different times we're in the end days possibly (laughs) we've got we've probably done a lot of self-reflection about like kind of the the energy you're putting into the world so I appreciate the kind of the personal growth uh the incremental progress you took Kaizen uh, to become a better person. And I think the listeners out there are all better people for having tuned in to a whole hour of our discussion. Uh, if you appreciate our podcasting, please rate, subscribe, give us five stars, do all those things. Uh, and thank you for listening to this episode of Anything is Potable!